0: This is Marketing Jam, a show featuring the brightest minds in marketing.
1: As we get going into our show, I want to talk about SEO quickly. this whole search engine optimization thing. People are frustrated by it, confused by it, and probably not really getting the straight goods about how it works. Back when we outsource our SEO, we're often confused when we get the reports back. It seemed like a dark art. They were rubbing some sort of oil on our websites, and supposedly magic was happening. When we started using AREFs, it was a game changer. The reports we got, the clarity on site ranking for terms, and really the transparency and understanding between off site and on site SEO was really helpful. Today, for all of our clients, we provide HREFs reporting and use the tool to audit sites. It's the premier SEO tool. And you can have the confidence you're getting the top quality tool that provides incredible support and resources to help you with your SEO for your brand or the clients you work with. Check out ares.com. today. Thanks everyone for joining us on this week's episode of Marketing Jam. really appreciate you tuning in, those that are watching, those that are listening. Uh, we are in for a great episode today. Thank you again to Canada Post for taking care of us and making sure that there is a show every week. Those that are watching on Amazon as well, I hope you enjoy it. And we're so excited that this season we are on Amazon Prime Canada. So Canadians, hello uh, and hello, rest of the world. Seth, thank you so much for joining us this week.
0: Thanks for having me. Canada is my favorite, so it was easy to say yes.
1: How is it your favorite? How do you decide between these uh, the countries? I
0: grew up in Algonquin Park, north of Toronto. And uh, every summer for 42 summers, I've been up there. This is the first one I've missed in a very long time. Oh, man. What, what do you like doing when you come up in the summer? Uh, I'm a canoeing instructor. I've taught thousands of people how to style canoe in the Omer Stringer lineage. Okay. So okay. Omer invented it, and uh, I learned from someone who learned from Omer.
1: Wow. That is, that is awesome. And this summer, of course, you're staying local and enjoying hopefully some canoeing right in your hometown.
0: Yeah, we got to build a canoe first, but then we'll try
1: Wonderful. So Seth, uh, many marketers, marketing directors, CMOs uh, have your books in, in their home. You, uh, you know, Purple Cow, I have this on my shelf, we got The Dip, I'm sure everyone has their Seth Godin collection, they've got their quotes that they use in their presentations. Uh, and, and just off uh, the interview here, you, you picked up actually a first edition of Purple Cow. Can you pull that up for us? Because I've never actually seen it. Tell us about that.
0: All right, so here's the, here's the problem. Uh, problem number one, my career was uh, in the toilet, I was a failure. The book I had published that came out right after 9-11 was a total epic fail, and my publisher wanted nothing to do with me. Um, But at the same time, I had something that I wanted to say. I had a book that I needed to dedicate to a friend of mine who I lost way too young. And um, also, I wanted to take my own advice. And the book Purple Cow is about doing something that's remarkable, not a gimmick, but worth talking about. Those are different things, right? And so... I had a column in Fast Company, and I knew I could reach the smallest viable audience. I knew I could reach those 100,000 people with my idea. So what I did was I put an excerpt of the book in Fast Company, and then I said, if you'd like a free copy of the book, send me $5 for postage and handling, higher in Canada, and I will mail you a copy of the book. The plan was to make the envelope a milk carton, and just we mailed it just like this, put a stamp right on the side and put it in the mail. Now... This is a problem because um, milk is wet and clean, and books are dry and dirty. And you can't make a milk carton on your own. You need a milk carton making machine, which costs a million dollars. What to do? So I had this flash of insight, and I realized Epsom salt is also dry and dirty. So I went to an Epsom salt guy, and he shut down in Newark, New Jersey, and he shut down the assembly line for two days. And instead, he made these. And I made wow. I made 10,000 of them on my own. And it costs way less than you think. Um, and we shipped out 5,000. So we broke even on the $5 postage mm-hmm. and handling. And what happened was people put the book in the carton on their desk. Now, if you walk into someone's office and there's a book on their desk, you don't say anything. But if there's a milk carton on your desk, a conversation happens, which is what the book is about. Yes. And so that's where I learned... The, the power of taking my own advice and showing up with something that benefited my readers. I didn't do the gimmick for me. I did it because if you could go to a meeting and say, uh, we need a purple cow, that would help your career, not help me sell a book. Yeah.
1: And, and you were able to practice what you preach by showing, not just talking about uh, the concept. Exactly. So, there's a lot of creatives that are listening right now that feel like, well, I you want know, to be like you, Seth. I want to write like you. I want to come up with that milk carton idea. But I get these blocks, I get these um, kind of stops in my creativity. What do you say to them?
0: Okay, so these are things I've been making on my Glowforge. I call them writer's blocks. And um, they're, they're each wood and they have six sides. And almost all of them have on one of the sides the expression, there is no such thing as writer's block. Because there is no such thing as writer's block. Writer's block, no one gets plumber's block, no one gets talker's block, no one gets skier's block. Where did writer's block come from? Well, if we had more time, I could go into the whole history of it. But the point is, we invented it. Because we don't actually have typing block or talking block. What we have is fear of not being perfect. We have fear of bad writing. And because we have fear of bad writing and fear of bad ideas, we announce we have a block. And what I say to those people is, show me your bad ideas. If you show me enough bad ideas, a good one is going to slip through. And that distinction is super important because knowing that it's going to happen if you just do the work and engage in the practice, you can get to the other side. Every musician who's ever started, the Joni Mitchells and the Neil Youngs, uh, all had lousy stuff at the beginning that you've never heard. And then they had demos that you might have heard but it wasn't until years later that they were who you thought they were and the same thing is true with every ad campaign with every new product development every piece of software it always starts with it not being good and then it gets better
1: it's like don't uh compare your chapter two to someone's chapter 20.
0: yeah exactly
1: i uh, i feel like uh, so many people have paralysis by analysis And, and so Seth, you, uh, I, what book would this be? Your newest book that's coming out. What number will it be? In your uh, the practice
0: anthology? is going to be the twentieth of since I started counting. But before that, I was a book packager, so there was a lot more.
1: Okay. So, what does it look like for you, practically speaking? Do you have certain uh, words you want to put out every day? Is it certain pages you want to complete every day? How have you kind of set those pieces so you can produce and, and set that bar?
0: So, for me, there's a difference between a book and a blog post. I write a blog post every day. I've done seven thousand in a row. And I think everyone should have a blog. Everyone should blog every day. This activity of needing to announce something to any size group of how you see the world and what you're going to do next makes you better. It doesn't even matter if anyone reads it. Just the act of saying, I noticed this, I predict that, I'm worried about this, every day in public. It's like morning pages times 10, right? So that I have a, a very distinct practice for that. Books are different for me because I never say to myself since 10 books ago, I don't say it's time for me to write a book. I only write a book when I have no choice because writing a book involves publishing a book and publishing a book is a pain in the ass. And so I'm only going to do it if I can't get away with a blog post instead, because if I can just write a blog post and then say I did justice to the idea, I don't have to work for it anymore. Now I have to work for my book as opposed to the book working for me because I have to do the hard work of showing up to people and say, you know, I know you don't have time to read a book and I know you, I know you don't want to spend money to buy a book, but this one is worth it. And so once an idea grabs me, uh, then I have to let it go to its process. Some books take eight hours a day for a year and some books take three weeks and it's hard to tell.
1: So your daily blog practice, uh, those that are listening right now and are inspired or encouraged to try that, uh, what does that look like? Do you sit in front of the computer and give yourself a half hour or an hour? Have you kind of drafted any of this stuff out in like a journal?
0: Right. So it's going to be different for everybody. And one of the riffs I like is that no one asks Stephen King what kind of pencil he uses because the kind of pencil he uses doesn't matter, right? So my method involves triggering by looking at the WordPress interface. I can't write a blog post anywhere except in WordPress That's because it it reminds me that that voice, my blog voice, needs to show up. Okay. And But it, you could use anything like this magic Japanese pen or this. It, as long as it's the same thing th- and you're not allowed to write a grocery list in that method, you're not allowed to write a love letter in that method, you can only do the thing that needs the voice. And, you know, I knew Jay Shiat years ago, the – one of the great godfathers of North American advertising. And Jay was a very big believer in the right conference room for the right reason. So in their New York headquarters, they had a conference room for every one of their main clients. And if you walked into that room, you knew you were in that room, right? And in that room, your voice would change and you could contribute. So I have a a whole bunch of approaches to how I do my blog. None of them matter they are just mine and you should go find yours.
1: And the idea being is if you produce every day, if you put out a blog every day, something good eventually will come out. Out of 365 days a year, maybe one or two will actually like spark or, you know, the term go viral or other people will share it because it's got that je ne sais quoi.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's worth noting that uh, my blog has never won the internet. I have never once had a blog post. That was the thing everyone read. I'm really delighted by that. Because part of what I write about in the practice is do not get hooked. Do not get attached on outcome. Outcome is not up to you. All that is up to you is practice. And the thing that kills most popular rock groups that have a hit early is they try to get a hit again. Right? And as soon as you try to do that, you've lost your voice. And so I'm thrilled that I've never had a blog post that has reached way more people than my other blog posts because then those, I'd want those people back because it's good for your ego. Yeah. I'm fine. It, I don't need to be known by more people. I'm here for the people who get the joke.
1: Now, the blog you wrote about how to do a better online meeting, how to do Zoom better, I, I love that. And I shared it in my uh, e-newsletter. and said it was the most popular click through because I think that's one of the biggest questions people are asking right now. How can we do this better? Uh, And and those that are listening, what what would you say? What are kind of the best ways to do a, a good Zoom online meeting in this kind of day and age?
0: Well, so people who have Zoom fatigue don't have Zoom fatigue. They have bad meeting fatigue. And meetings are generally about reinforcing status roles and exercises of power because you can skip most meetings by sending a memo if you realize that the purpose of the meeting is to simply communicate, just send a memo, right? If you really want to have something that feels like a creativity, brainstorming kind of situation, optimize for that. And that again, isn't a whole bunch of people on a thing waiting for someone else, blah, 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 blah. That never worked in real life and it's not working in zoom, but it's so easy to call one of these meetings. We're calling them all the time. So, you know, the workshops that we run in the, the kinds of things. I've been on Zoom for five years. I don't want to do it that way. I want to say, oh, we're going to use breakout rooms. We're going to put people on the spot. We're going to bring other kinds of energy into the session. Because if you're running a Zoom meeting like most people are running Zoom meetings, well, people with power shouldn't even go. Just hang up because it's not what it looks like it is.
1: So Seth, uh, speaking of Zoom meetings, you've got the quintessential library behind you. You've got your books, uh, got your items. Uh, I'm so curious to know, what are the books that you read? What are the books that you say, man, these are the three books that every marketer, you know, person who wants to be, you know, like Seth. I want to know insight into your library, kind of pull the, you know, I can see your shelf, but I can't see every book. But what would you say three that you're like, man, you've got to check these out?
0: Okay, so it's important to decide if you're a professional or not. And one of the, being a professional, I think, in, in only involves two things. One, you show up even if you don't feel like it. And two, you've done the reading. Yep. And in the case of a surgeon, the reading means you went to medical school and spent all those years cutting open cadavers. That's an example of doing the reading. Marketing is filled with amateurs who think, well, I've been a consumer for a long time and I like to draw. Let's put on a show. Yep. And I'll say to them, uh, what did you think about Ogilvy on advertising? Well, who's he, yeah. right? And you'll say, did you read uh, uh, my life in you know, Shannon's book or did you read uh, Herschel Gordon-Lewis on direct copy? They haven't done the reading. Yeah. Right? What? It's like getting the answer key to the SATs before you take them. How can you do direct mail copywriting and not read Herschel Gordon-Lewis? What a gift for $12? You just yeah. saved a year of your life, yeah. right? And so there's this whole bunch of books over there and over here that are, did you do the reading? Did you read the Tom Peters seminar? Did you read the pursuit of wow? Did you read, um, you know, I, I don't think that the marketing textbooks matter at all. You can skip Kotler cause it has no purpose, but if you read the people who have practiced and yeah. put ideas into the world, you'll know what traps they fell into and which ones to avoid. Right. Okay. My niche is not that. My niche is a modern marketing, which is why I wrote This Is Marketing. And if you're at an agency and you haven't read This is Marketing, I think you've made a mistake because it's all about what do we do after advertising. Because you can't buy network TV and have it work the way you used to, because now everyone's doing something else. And then uh, the second thing I try to do is help people get out of their own way. Because you already know how to do something as good as Wyden and Kennedy. You're just afraid to do it.
1: Mm.
0: And I was talking to my friend Louise, who wrote um, a really good book about naming, um, and the best book about naming. And uh, Louise's told me the origin of the just do it slogan, right? Which is, I'm not gonna go into the detail because it gives me the the shakes, but basically it was uttered by someone before he was, on death row and uh, killed. And it took guts to stand up in front of Phil Knight, who's not an easy person, and say, yeah, we're going to use just do it as our slogan. And uh, we got the idea from a convicted mass murderer, right? Like That's hard to say. Yeah, But if you had said, our tagline is going to be, it's a pretty good sneaker. We never would have heard of Nike, right? And so what marketing is, is living a true story that resonates with people. But if it's going to resonate, it's going to be because you said it first. And if you said it first, it's scary. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm trying to help people realize is that's the hard work of being a professional. Showing up when you don't feel like it, doing the reading, and saying something that's scary because someone else might not like it.
1: Uh, question for you on uh, you know, a fellow uh, you know from Canada lives in New York now, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book uh, a while ago called The Tipping Point. Would you consider that a marketing book or wh- how do you look at that one? Would you put it in the world of
0: yeah, so uh, that book changed my life uh, in a way that it didn't change anybody else's life. Uh, I had written a book called Permission Marketing and it was a New York Times bestseller, and then I was done. I didn't have to write another book. Because once you write another book, now you're chasing the outcome, right? And uh, I just sat quietly for months, and Malcolm sent me the galley of Tipping Point and said, would you write uh, a blurb for it? And I read the book, and I loved it. And uh, in the two weeks that followed, I wrote every word of Unleashing the Idea Virus. I wrote an entire book in two weeks. And I realized I'd been holding back this book. I'd been thinking about it, but not realizing it. And I felt badly that I was going to pre-steal Malcolm's idea. So I reached out to Malcolm and I said, would you write the foreword to my book? Which he graciously did. So that got me back to being an author. So thank you, Malcolm. Wow. Uh, The Tipping Point is a brilliant book. It uh, is a book that is not really understood by people who say they read it but didn't meet it. And most people in marketing say they read it, but didn't read it. Same with The Long Tail by Chris Anderson. Same with Crossing the Chasm by Jeff Moore. Those three books all stand next to each other as fundamental building blocks of what you have to understand as a modern marketer. And you can't just use the buzzwords. You really got to understand them.
1: So if you were to rewrite, say, Purple Cow today with the change of the internet and you know, Snapchat, and Facebook, and all that, what's happening, would you think there'd be many changes that you'd have to make, or would you say it still stands as is?
0: Well, the biggest change I would have to make is trying to persuade people I wasn't crazy. Because when I wrote it, people said, you're crazy. You. All that matters is network TV ads. All that matters is the behemoth of the mass market. So it was revolutionary in its time. That's why I don't want to rewrite it, because even if I rewrote it, I couldn't make it revolutionary again. Mm-hmm. Um I guess the biggest advice now is we know your budget isn't what it used to be, but that doesn't give you an excuse to hustle. No one says, I'm really glad they hustled me. Don't be a hustler. Don't figure out how to cut corners, pop-ups, pop-unders, shortcuts, figure out how to somehow game some algorithm or get more than your fair share out of this or that. Don't try to reverse engineer how to you know, talk to kids these days because- That never works. It just doesn't. And the alternative is to say, what would they miss if I didn't make it? What could I produce that uh, if it went away, people would say, please bring it back. How do I make a big promise and then over deliver on that promise? So we got to go upstream to what we make, how we make it, why we make it, and not get hung up on how do we get the lighting right so we go viral.
1: And question be, those ideas that someone comes up with, like whether it's in the shower or they're going for a walk or a run or they, they're in, maybe the rare occasion they're in the boardroom and they've come up with that purple cow idea. Where do you think those come from? Where do you think those are birthed?
0: So, you know, I built Yo-Yo Dine with a couple other people. It invented email marketing. You can thank me or not. Um, and... Uh, I needed a name for the book that was going to explain it. I needed a name for how our sales force was going to talk about it. So I said to Jerry Sharyshevsky, our head of marketing, tomorrow morning I'm going to get in the shower and I'm not getting out of the shower, even if I run out of hot water, until I have a name. And I stood <laughs> in the shower until the water got really cold and that's when permission marketing came to me, which of course is completely untrue. That's not when permission marketing came to me. came to me in the week's, leading up to the shower, knowing that when push came to shove and I had to say something, I would say the thing. So ideas come from ideas. Bad ideas lead to good ideas. The iterative practice of understanding genre, understanding what our customers need and want, having the empathy to be there for them and to rhyme with what came before, all of that work is where good ideas come from.
1: Oh, so it's not just some magical unicorn that bursts things No unicorn. And-
0: Sorry. Okay. And, and I think if you do the, the research, you will see, like, there's nobody who, you know, is a, a convenience store clerk in Tennessee who's going to come up with a better design for a solar panel out of nowhere. It doesn't work that way. If there really was a muse and a unicorn, that's where they would come from. Yep. Better solar panels come from people who have been making solar panels.
1: Yeah. And better advertising comes from
0: people who understand the history of advertising, but also trust themselves enough to let their other voice out. And it's that other voice, if you can get past the selective pre-filtering, it's that other voice that has something unique and interesting to say.
1: And, And how do you nurture that voice that feels blocked or held back or controlled?
0: Yeah, so I love this question. So the best advice I have for people is A, to realize not all criticism is the same. And we need to insulate ourselves from useless critics. We need to insulate ourselves from people who think they're doing you a favor by protecting you from heartache. Insulate ourselves from people who have an ax to grind. You know, if you look at the one-star reviews that Harper Lee got for To Kill a Mockingbird or that J.K. Rowling got for uh, Harry Potter, they both got more one-star reviews than I've ever gotten because they've gotten more reviews than I've ever gotten. All a one-star review means to them is, oh, you're not the kind of person that likes a book like this. It doesn't mean you're an insightful, adept critic who is telling me how to actually make my book better. And I've never met an author who read all their one-star reviews and says, now I'm a better author. Don't do that. So one of the things that's magic about being in the agency space is if you're a creative director and you've got a copywriter partner, et cetera, et cetera, That person's really good at giving you positive feedback, really good at egging you on, really good at raising the bar appropriately as you go. Yeah, more. Go, go, more. Yeah, yeah, do that. And if you're not getting enough of that, go get some of that because that pushes you to be an even better version of you. And that's what we need.
1: It's almost like a positive worm tongue. What would you call it? Like from Lord of the Rings, the, uh, the voice in your ear.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Hey, are you having trouble tracking inbound phone calls from your website or ads? CallRail gives you the call tracking you need to measure the success of your marketing efforts in real time. Discover how many calls you receive from your Google ads, organic searches, social media efforts, and so much more. But that's not the only reason we use CallRail. CallRail seamlessly integrates your call and conversion data with over 700 marketing tools and platforms, including Google Analytics and Salesforce, to fuel deeper insights, automatically. Start your free trial today with CallRail. So where, where do you find those voices? Like practically, I know you can't hire a worm tongue to sit beside you uh, to Why not? in your ear all the time. Yeah, maybe you do.
0: I what don't. Is that, but you could. Yeah. Right. Like I remember, you know, when I used to go to fast companies offices, I wrote more words for them than almost anybody, and Bill and Alan created a room and a space where I had to bring my best. And once I got there, I felt more confident and smarter and I brought more of my best and more of my best and more of my best. And then there are other people and partners I've worked with who every time I talked to them, made me feel like a loser and a fraud and a fake Mm -hmm. and somebody who couldn't possibly contribute. And you have to walk away from that because it doesn't make you better. And so uh, I have been around people who I purposely hung out with because they encouraged me. That was their contribution. They encouraged me. And that doesn't mean you then say, I'm therefore perfect, I'm done, this is going to work. It simply means, is there an inexpensive way for me to find out what the real world thinks of this? Not in a focus group, but by actually trying to sell it to somebody. By actually putting it in front of people and say, here, I made this. And then you get this feedback. And... You know, in the practice, I write about uh, getting lost on your way to Huntsville, Ontario. If you're driving to Huntsville, Ontario, and you know you're trying to get to Huntsville, Ontario, and you pull over at a gas station and say, at like the Voyageur on Highway 11, and say, how do I get to Huntsville? And they say, oh, you went five miles past the exit, turn around and go back. You're not personally offended by this. This is useful. This is a map. Well, the same thing's true if you bring something to the public and say, here, I made this, and the public goes, eh, not that interested. They're not saying you're a bad person. They're saying you didn't see them properly when you were trying to make a thing. Go make something else. Yeah. And the fact that we get to make something else, what a gift. Yeah. So if you,
1: uh, it's also one of the joys of Kickstarter and those sites where you could try something, see if people want it, and then if they don't, you can, you don't launch it. You didn't waste all this time and money, hopefully. Um, but that voice, that inner voice, whether is it um, like a, a parent, a guardian, a partner, a friend, a family member, can they nurture that in you in your personal time, do you think? Is that something that someone could try to find?
0: Right. So this is something we've learned a lot about with parenting when we talk about grit and we talk about uh, various kinds of feedback. If we say to a kid, um, congratulations, you did really well on the test because you're so smart, yeah. we've actually messed with their head because now there's a sense of entitlement, and entitlement is the deal killer. The alternative is, if we say to a kid, you did really well on that test because you studied so hard, now what we've done is establish this pattern of possibility and effort. So I think it's really important that by the time a kid is eight years old, we are diminishing the amount of time they spend playing video games and increase the amount of time they spend designing video games, editing Wikipedia, publishing their poetry online, developing this habit of shipping their work. And then we don't say, this work is going to win a Nobel Prize. We say, your effort is showing in this work. Can you top it? And that Mm -hmm. cycle of effort and contribution and then improving it again, that cycle ends up creating resilient, healthy humans.
1: And you have two sons yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and have you seen that occur, or do you kind of learned over the years? Is it...
0: Yeah, I made a deal with my kids that I don't talk about them when I do these no. things because it's their Perfect. life to live. But I'm super proud of both of them.
1: No, great, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, when you see that in someone, have you noticed if you like you're interviewing someone or you're bringing them on your team, and you're trying to find that right person? Can you see a difference if they've had that built into them, or is it something that you need to nurture in
0: them? Yeah, so you know what we're seeing right now is a fundamental rewiring of the workplace. You know, The pandemic caused so many people to work remotely. The long overdue focus on racial justice and the Black Lives Matter movement made us think really hard about who we're hiring and why we're hiring them. What's the difference between getting an AI to do proofreading versus having a full-time person on your team? Because yeah. have a full-time person on your team now is a much different commitment than it used to be because we can outsource so much. And um, for me, the thing that I'm looking for is relentless possibility. Mm. Enthusiasm and a sense of possibility. I don't care where you found it, Mm. but if you don't have it, then you should just be a contractor. Because you say to a contractor, please transcribe this video and close caption it. And then you don't care what their life is like, right? Whereas if someone is, on the team in the circle they got to bring the relentless possibilities to the table
1: yeah what are some brands that you're maybe following right now that show that you are doing courageous things that are trying things that you're like wow that's that's a brand to watch
0: well so the easiest way to get into trouble is for me to say you have a good brand because then inevitably karma will come around and kick you in the teeth yeah um So there's a a guy named Sean who makes uh, bean-to-bar chocolate in Missouri, Sean Askinosie. And if you look at how Askinosie Chocolate, with a very tiny team, has changed the culture, not the whole culture, but part of the culture, has established standards, has created something that other people want to copy, and gladly shares what they know, I look at someone like that and I compare them to someone who's just trying to improve market share or just trying to improve the the bottom line. There's no comparison. Yeah. And we're going to see more and more brands like Askinosi show up and say, we stand for something because we care. Mm-hmm. And they mean it. Like, it shows in everything they do. It's not like you can catch them behind the curtain, you know, like the Wizard of Oz. No, they're always like that. Mm-hmm. And um, we can find this in the new breed of politicians in the United States that's coming along. We can find it in teachers who are discovering that even though they may have to teach remotely, they can figure out how to get under a kid's skin. It's not reserved for a consumer product. Mm -hmm. It's simply that we created all these tools and we didn't do it to replace TV. We did it to enable us to get better.
1: Uh, What do you think uh, There's a charity that started in New York called Charity Water, a guy, Scott Harrison. Uh, What do you think, Made them such a splash You know, they took off They they kind of blew other charities out of the water They were different um, In your opinion
0: Well, I give you credit for saying Splash and blew people out of the water In one sentence about Scott's charity Uh, Scott has raised a quarter of a billion dollars so far As a result There are more than a million people around the world Who have clean water Who didn't have it before Not one bottle of it But forever and ever Uh, try going for one day without clean water and you can realize the magnitude of that. Here's the deal. Um, Scott doesn't raise money so he can drill wells. He drills wells so they can raise money in the sense that there are other people who know how to drill wells. They don't have a world-class well drilling team. They don't need one. What they figured out is people give money to charity when the money that they're giving when the feeling they get from giving to charity is worth more than the money they are giving. So if you give a $5 million to McGill, so they'll name a dorm after you, you did that because it's worth $10 million to have that legacy. That's why you did it. So in the case of Charity Water, by using social media in an intelligent way, storytelling, video, status roles, tribal connections, they made it. So whether you're eight years old or like me on my sixtieth birthday, you decide it's worth more to you in self-esteem in connection than the money was worth, and then you go ahead and do it. And so you know, one of their ideas was selling them their your birthday, and I've sold them my birthday a couple times. And as a result, you know, I think we're up to twenty-four thousand people have clean water as a result of that. Well, could I have just given a check to someone who drills a well, probably, but I wouldn't have been on my radar. It's on my radar because we care about stories and stories aren't just about the person we're helping, they're also about us.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. The, uh, the well system they set up as well where they can actually say, admin is covered by this group and 100% goes. And here's the GPS tracker of where the dollar went, which is fascinating what they're able to do.
0: Exactly, yeah, so proud to know Scott. And to see the work that he and his team have done. It's really, when people say marketing doesn't matter, I say, why don't you go tell that to the million people who have clean water?
1: So, for those that are kind of reading your books and have gone through and and are excited about your newest book coming out, um, how would you sum up advertising versus marketing? And kind of the, are they two camps or or now in this age, are they the same? What would you say?
0: Oh, they're not even close. Uh, They might be distant relatives. Advertising is a very specific craft that had its peak 20 years ago. Advertising is buy attention from a media company and make enough money doing so that you can do it again. And so in the 60s and the 70s and 80s, nothing was a better bargain than television advertising. You didn't have to be good at it. You just had to be brave enough to keep buying the ads. And it was this magic perfect storm. And if you liked putting on a little show and you liked that life, it was a great place to be. But it's 2020, name for me five brands built on advertising in the last five years. I don't think you can name one. I can't name one. Whereas every brand was built on advertising in 1965, I can't name one now. They are not built on that. They are built on connection and on trust and on story and on the change they make and on how they choose to show up in the world. So if we think about all the brands that are on people's tongue these days, whether it's you know, Amazon or TikTok or Shopify or go down the list, none of those brands bought any ads. So marketing is what you do, how you do it, and who you do it for. And if one little tiny slice of that is, and we run ads, that's fine with me. Yeah. But don't call yourself a marketer if you're in the advertising business.
1: Um, Seth, I need to know more about your alt-MBA. Tell us about this the inception and, and what it means and what it is for people.
0: So for five years, we've been running this. Uh, it's the most effective thing I've built, much more than my books. It's a 30-day intensive. We've had people from 78 countries take it. It's two or three hours a day, every day for 30 days. 97% of the people in it finish it. It is not an MBA. It is about learning to see, learning to tell better stories, learning to make decisions, learning to persuade others. And we... Built it to work online. It only exists online. We've been doing it for five years. And the challenge was, could I build something that could only be online that would work better day by day than my Stanford MBA at changing someone? And this has done that. I did it as an experiment. We did two of them. And I thought, wow, we need to keep doing this. And now we've done more than 40. It's not for everyone. We do a small group at a time. But if you want to check it out, it's at altmba.com.
1: My friend Jeff Golby here in Vancouver, Canada, went through it and changed his life. Even just, I see the fruit of it, and he runs an organization here. Uh, and just what the, the content he's putting out, the e-newsletter is like it's night and day compared to what was. That's before. fantastic. Yeah, love here. Yeah, so thank you for what you're doing there, and yeah, it's an amazing organization that he runs. So it was cool to see the transformation and, and seeing the fruit of it. So your, yeah, your newest book. Um, those that are excited about it and interested in kind of the next book. Give us a summary of it what are people what can they expect what are they going to get from it it's different than kind of other books you put out before
0: it's it's a little different but it rhymes uh the subtitle is shipping creative work Mm -hmm. and all three words matter shipping because it doesn't count if it doesn't interact with the world creative because if you're repeating what someone else did we don't need your help yeah and work because work is about changing other people That's what we do for a living. We're not digging a ditch. We are doing the emotional labor of causing change to happen. So if your job is to ship creative work, I think that there's a professional way to do it. And this is the only book I know of that goes all the way from poetry to um, governance and everything in between to say, all of us are trying to ship creative work. There is a method, there is a practice to do so, and it begins with trusting ourselves. Trusting ourselves enough to undo the brainwashing and dig deep into why we're doing this in the first place.
1: So when I, I read, you sent me ahead of time kind of the, the summary of it and kind of the talking points. Would you go as far to say, hey, maybe it means you get the call map, which is an app you can get on most phones these days. It helps you meditate and kind of, you know, get connected with yourself. Would you say that could be the answer for people who are feeling that block or feeling like they can't ship?
0: I think uh, mindfulness and meditation is priceless and it doesn't uh, cost you anything to try. Yeah. Um, I don't see any evidence that people who have a great meditation practice are better at shipping creative work. Um, I think having a great meditation practice makes you a better, happier human. Mm. But what it means to ship creative work is to engage in a practice with intent. Mm. And that intent involves choosing to lean into the world to change it for the better. Mm -hmm. And so any person who's ever signed up to be in marketing or work for an agency, signing up to say, yeah, I wanna sell some stuff. Well then to go around and work for a cigarette company, I say, how dare you? You signed up to change things. Don't try to persuade teenagers to smoke cigarettes and die. You need to own the outcome of your work. Okay, so you're gonna make change happen How do you get out of your own way to do it in a way that you're proud of? Well, when we say I'm talking to myself, here's my question. Who's I and who are you talking to? Mm. Sounds like there are two of you. And in fact, there are. There's the governing self, the one that wants you to fit in, the one that's afraid. And then there's the other self. And the other self is the one that really doesn't like being looked at. Mm. And it really doesn't like being noticed and it hides out and it, persuades us that there's a unicorn and a muse that comes with great ideas. No, it's this elusive self, the one that the resistance works so hard to make go away. Mm -hmm. And what I'm saying is people, whether you're winning on a game show or saying something smart in the brainstorming session, it's only because you trust the self to say something unproven, to say it before it's time, to bring it up because you're generous, because you're seeking to make things better. Mm -hmm. And once we see our work as this act of generosity, then we can get out of our own way. Because we're not saying, I'm taking from people. We're saying, oh, I know something. Here, here. Mm-hmm. And I think most people are good enough that if they had something useful, they'd want to share it.
1: My grandma it used to throw her spaghetti up on the ceiling. And, and I know the phrase now, you know, throw a, you know, see if the spaghetti sticks. I, as I was reading the description, I was imagining Someone learning to to develop the muscle in their arm that throws spaghetti and and just keeps throwing till something sticks. And are you imagining that in boardrooms and and brainstorm rooms and maybe Zoom calls where people just keep throwing spaghetti in hopes that something...
0: Yeah, I just don't throw it at people who have a gluten-free diet. And the metaphor there is important, which is what it means to hustle is you're throwing spaghetti at people who don't want you to throw spaghetti at them. What it means to be generous is... There's somebody over there who's waiting for a big bowl of spaghetti, mm. and you're saying, "How about this one?" And because you're doing it together, you have the privilege of showing up for them in a way they want you to show up.
1: So Seth, um, there's students that are, you know, excited about becoming marketers, becoming advertisers. What's your advice to them? What's your advice to someone who's kind of getting into the business, or maybe they just graduated and are looking to get into a career?
0: Yeah, I get emails like this too often, and When I write back, I never hear from them again. And what I write back and say is, who's stopping you? Go start. You have a charity you like, go raise $100,000 for them. You have something, you you have a way to get to a garage sale, go buy stuff at a garage sale and sell it on eBay. See Mm -hmm. if you can do it at a profit. If you want to market, be a marketer. You don't need a permit. Go market. I started marketing when I was maybe 14. No one can stop you. That's the only way I know to become a marketer is to do marketing. And the way you do marketing is by finding a problem and solving it for someone else.
1: And tell me about when you were 14, what was the first thing you marketed? Um,
0: well, there were a couple. There was a uh, a computer program at the University of Buffalo where my dad had access that would plot your biorhythms, which oh. were these make-believe astrology-like charts. So I sold biorhythm reports for a while. And then um, when I was 16, I started a ski club At my high school and every friday night because it was for nerds who had nothing to do on friday night uh i chartered a bus and we all got on the bus and went to kissing bridge and skied for the the night and it broke even if i had 26 kids on the bus Mm -hmm. and it did really well if i had like 44 kids on the bus so there was a very narrow window and the question is when you're 16 you know kids want to go skiing on Friday night. You know they can afford the $78 for eight sessions with rentals. Um, how do you get enough trust? Because you don't do it by getting more attention. Yes. Like you have a flyers up in school, but the gym teacher will just take them down because he has a competitive ski club. Yeah. So attention isn't the point. How do you earn trust in this thing you're offering to people? Yeah. And you know, the second year we had twice as many people as the first year, that wasn't an accident. Because the second year, people who'd been in the first year decided to tell other people, why don't you come with us? And that shift, I said, oh, this isn't about how you charter a bus. This is about why you charter a bus and who you're chartering a bus for. Uh,
1: Seth, um, all-time favorite book that you kind of say you've got to read this one. I know you've listed a bunch, and we're going to put those in the show notes. But what's the one that you're... Uh,
0: I think that... uh, When pressed, I point to Ben and Roz Zander's book, The Art of Possibility. I think The Art of Possibility uh, applies to every single person I've ever met. Uh,
1: And then what about podcasts, e-newsletters, any sort of magazines that you kind of get say, hey, there's some nuggets here, places to glean from?
0: You know, I get uh, 100 blogs a day and uh, people send me books. So I consume more media than most people in this field. Uh, I'm not sure you need more media. I think maybe you need more shipping. Nice. And so rather than making your media problem worse and helping out some of my buddies who have great stuff, I will just say maybe you need to ship more stuff more generously. Don't wait for your boss. Do it on the side. Figure out how to bring ideas to the world. I think the blog you most need to read is your blog.
1: Well, The Practice, it's available now. Um, Amazon. Your local bookstore, most likely, uh, order directly from your site, I imagine as well.
0: No, nope. I don't sell books. I just yeah. write them.
1: Perfect, perfect. So, ordered online. Um, yeah. Available today. Um, thank you, Seth. Anything else you thank want to close you. with? Any kind of last
0: pieces? This is this has been super fun. It's great to talk to smart people, and uh, I appreciate the ruckus you're making. To make a ruckus means uh, to show up and choose to lead and make things better. So, thank you for that.
1: Thank you. And and those that are in podcast land listening to this, what are some of your favorite podcasts? Because I know you have your own and why don't you tell about that and maybe any other ones that you think people should be tapping into.
0: So my, my podcast is at akimbo.link. That's A-K-I-M-B-O dot L-I-N-K. I Uh, I love 99% Invisible. I think uh, the single best episode of any podcast ever made was Mystery Show episode three. It was so good that she was unable to make very many more episodes after that. So don't miss it. It was super special. Um, and my friend Brian Koppelman's show, The Moment, is 250 episodes strong. And that will definitely keep you busy for a long time. Awesome. Thanks again, Zach. Be well. Thanks,
1: everyone, for joining us this week on Marketing Jam. And we'll see you next week on Jam. Thanks for listening to Marketing Jam. If you enjoyed the show, head over to our YouTube or Facebook and give us a thumbs up. And visit iTunes to leave a rating and review. Thanks again, and see you next time.